I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Central bank digital currencies are, for the most part, posed as theoretical questions, or at best, aspirations, and have emerged as subjects of conversation only in the wake of Bitcoin and highly visible stablecoin projects like Libra. But there are some CBDCs that are in operation now and in the process are helping to set the terms of the debate as to what's possible when government focuses on innovating payments infrastructures. And it's not only big countries like China that are entering into the fray. In fact, one of the first and most significant entrants in the space for digital cash is the appropriately named Dcash, introduced by the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union in five of its member states, that allows holders to send and receive the currency throughout the region and use Dcash for the purchase of goods and services. Now, to talk it all over and why the collection of islands decided to take such a big digital step forward, I am delighted to share a conversation I had with Timothy Antoine, the governor of the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union, who talked to me at the annual FinTech Week conference that I sponsor every year in Washington, D.C. Now, few people have had an upfront seat on digital currencies like he has, and perhaps no one is better situated to talk about just what it may mean for financial inclusion. So it is a real pleasure to have with me uh, now uh, Governor Timothy Antoine from the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank. You know, we've talked a lot over the course of the day um, about projects, about um, ideas, planning. Um, and, and in this conversation, we get to talk a little bit more about uh, execution because there have been and there are a, a couple of, of, of cases of CBDCs uh, that are working, that have been implemented. And um, uh, Governor uh, Antoine has been a leader in, in making sure that the Eastern Caribbean uh, has been at the forefront of the CBDC uh, conversation. Uh, Governor, thank you so much for joining us. Professor, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be with you. All right, I guess, you know, to, to start off, maybe you can uh, talk to us a little bit about the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union, uh, the ECCU, and, and, and it's sort of the, the member countries, just to, to set the stage, because we started off talking about Asia, and, and obviously we, we, we started um, with larger conversation, uh, lar larger conversations with, with the BIS. But, but when you look at the ECCU and its uh, specific countries, what are the unique policy challenges um, uh, that, that you face, particularly when looking at your uh, domestic financial system? Right, so uh, just before I get to that, let me just say at the outset that uh, the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union, our central bank, truly believes that the payment system should work for all except illicit actors. And so the theme of this year's uh, FinTech, DC FinTech Week, uh, innovation, inclusion, and integrity, uh, that theme is perfectly aligned with our philosophy. The system must work for all except illicit actors. That means it must work for small states. So who are we? We are a monetary union of eight small island developing states. 
and uh, we are an archipelago. So interestingly, not only are we small islands, but within countries, you have multiple islands. Why am I making this point? Because our archipelago and the, the, the issues that we face with cross-border payments uh, are real, and our geographic endowment presents us with a natural laboratory to run this particular innovation. Now, in terms of our financial system, it is extremely bank-centric. Uh, about 85% of assets are controlled by commercial banks. Uh, the remainder mainly credit unions. We are very high usage of physical cash. Uh, we estimate probably around 80%. And payments are too slow and too expensive. That's in and of itself kind of interesting, right? Uh, uh, when you think about this, the, if you have a country made up of archipelagos, and if it is a cash-based system, just literally the physical movement of cash faces a range of um, frictions that are literally typographical in nature. I mean, like like literally the the, the geography and 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 the construction of, of a country can impact sort of the the demand one might face for. Um, any kind of uh, central bank digital currency. Now, now you guys made a lot of history with Dcash in particular, right? And and I guess along with the uh, sand dollar in in the Bahamas was or is really one of the uh, only two live uh, CBDC projects, at least I, I think according to the BIS. Um, with all that in mind, in terms of enabling inclusion. And inclusion can mean lots of different things depending on where in the world you are, and again, what are the specific challenges that that, that that you face, you know, what have been your specific sort of policy goals with regards to Dcash, to your digital cash, and and how did you actually end up with this idea that a central bank digital currency would be the right approach? Right. Well, you know, Professor, I'm glad you picked up quickly on the the the, the question of our archipelago and what that presents for us as a challenge, because that goes to the heart of our our, our motivations for CBDC. We have three policy goals. The first payment system efficiency. The second, financial inclusion. Uh, there are many people in our region who are unbanked or underbanked. And um, unfortunately, uh, for various reasons, including the fact that it's more and more difficult to open a bank account, we people have been forced out of the financial system. And the third very important uh, policy objective or goal is increased resilience and competitiveness. And that is so important for small states which are extremely vulnerable to external shocks, whether they're natural disasters, pandemics, or you know, financial crises. Now, I think uh, and all of these goals are aimed really for us at boosting economic growth, but ultimately propelling our agenda of socioeconomic transformation for the shared prosperity of the people of our currency union. And that is always fundamentally what is at, at stake here, shared prosperity for the people that we serve. And we believe that to do that, we have to transform the region. And uh, Dcash is a, an important instrument in really the, the bigger conversation about the build out of a digital economy for our currency union. I should also add that one of the important benefits of Dcash, uh, digital cash, so short Dcash, is in fact financial integrity. So think about this for a moment and, and consider the question, which payment channel is better suited for financial integrity, physical cash or digital cash? And if you think about it, hands down, the answer is digital cash, 
because in the former physical cash, there is complete anonymity. In the latter digital cash, you have managed anonymity. Every person who wants to operate our CBDC or wants to use our CBDC has to be registered. Uh, agents have to be approved by the central bank and users at the retail level have to obviously be registered by approved agents of the central bank. Having said that, you do have privacy in terms of your actual transactions, but that issue of AML CFT, uh, those protocols are strictly observed. And as a central bank, you would expect us to do no less. Yeah, you, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we had uh, Mu Chengchun uh, from the People's Bank of China earlier, and it was actually kind of interesting because this idea of how do you draw a balance, and every country has its own sort of different balance about how do you manage anonymity becomes really important um, uh, for all the the, the the different stakeholders. I think that, um, you know, in terms of the, the, the inclusion aspect, you know, going digital and, and that question of digital transformation is kind of interesting just based off of what is the pre-existing um, infrastructure and, 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 you know, the penetration of all kinds of, um, of, of, of different um, uh, devices, like, like mobile devices. Mm -hmm. but, but I think that the, the, the inclusion question is often a, a cost issue and a question of, 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 of a traditionally high uh, cost and lack of, of access to financial services. Um, and that's a challenge in the United States as, as well. I mean, from, from your perspective, um, you, you know, how do you look at the intervention of a CBDC and the ability of the private market to, to have solved this particular issue? I mean, it, it, why do you think that private sector competition hasn't um, solved this issue on its own, uh, particularly uh, in your neck of the woods? Small size. Uh, our small size means that we obviously uh, do not enjoy, uh, private sector operators would not enjoy the same scale economies that they would in a China or Mexico or Brazil. And so the, typically it means that the payback period is probably going to be longer or you're going to have to charge even more, which is already an issue uh, in our region. So when motivated by a bottom line, which is what you know the private sector is motivated by, um, it is no, it is no um, mystery in, in our view why we have not seen more innovation. And because our system is particularly bank-centric, what we've seen is the is the is the these institutions are amortizing the legacy systems. So there's no strong motivation or incentive to innovate faster because they're going to want to, and they are in fact amortizing. So if you look at some of the same operators in Canada are not bringing those innovations to the Caribbean. The question is why? Scale economies. They don't see the same returns and certainly they need to be more patient with the returns. They're all profitable, but it's gonna take longer. And I think that's the reason why we have not seen more private sector innovation in this area to solve these particular frictions that you, you identified and we've identified. Well, well, that's 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 very helpful, right? Because and then you can sort of see at least the 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 cause or the rationale for for intervention, you know, by yes. by the the the, yes. the central bank. You know, when, when you think about the actual solutions, well, that's an equally kind of interesting question, and and I'd be curious to get your your your, your thoughts. I mean, um, I, I, there's there's 
clearly then this, this challenge that you've identified in terms of the, the size and the scale, but there's a whole range, I suppose, of possible policy interventions. Interventions that obviously we're also thinking about and have been discussed uh, both in the United States, in Europe, and other parts of the world. But here in the United States, we've been talking about a retail fast payment system, something you know like a FedNow system. Uh, the big conversation in Europe and the United States is, you know, is there some way to regulate the cost of payments? Uh, do you mandate basic um, sort of deposit accounts, uh, you know, or, or, or greater bank coverage? You know, but instead you you move. Um, forward with with the CBDC, you know, how did you get to that answer? Um, and, and how did you think about the other kinds of tools uh, potentially on the table? I think our live reality, our live reality dictated the direction that we, we take. Um, so here's the thing, um, we're open to all possibilities. And we've said in our articulation of where we see our payments landscape, that all channels can contend. Uh, but here's the thing, in our region, very few, many of our small businesses do not use the point of sale machines for say credit cards and debit cards. They don't. And the, the few that do, very often you will go into a business and they will tell you the machine is not working, but you've seen the machine and you're wondering, well, isn't this? And they will tell you it's not working. The real issue is that it is not working for them because these businesses are required to pay anywhere between three to 5% per transaction. Now, professor, obviously that's driving up the cost of the business and the products that they sell. It's a material number. So when it comes to making a sale, uh, they will always want the cash option to avoid having to make that payment. And frankly spoken, this has gone on for far too long. Uh, small businesses, uh, you know, they, 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 the bedrock of economies, at least 50% of all jobs, uh, in, in some cases, a lot higher than that. Uh, we, we recognize that uh, we needed to intervene to do something. Now, having said that, we've also clear, we're also clear that Dcash is one of several payment channels, and the customers must choose their channels based on cost and convenience. So for that reason, we're not uh, advocating the elimination of physical cash. Uh, people will decide what they want to do. What we do know is that the current system is not working for most of our people. And remember what I said at the top, the payment system should work for all except illicit actors. And that includes small countries and small businesses. Did, did you guys ever consider uh, stable coins or, or sort of the penetration of stable coins, whether or not stable coins could alternatively provide a solution? Well, we're open to looking at options. The, the, the thing about it is that uh, one of the challenges of building out a digital economy is building digital trust and uh, stable coins uh, introduce levels of risk or risks that uh, we're not comfortable with as a central bank you know our single largest asset is trust and therefore we believe we have an obligation to leverage that trust to help build out the digital economy and we locate dcash as an important advance in the ultimate digitalization of our economy and society. So we have to lead. And I think what, what, what you are teasing out, Professor, is the fact that in small states, the role of the state is somewhat redefined. But even in a large state like the United States, the, the fact of the matter is interventions by the US government, whether it is the internet or the global uh, GPS, global position system, have enabled 
a lot of what the fintechs, the big fintechs, the big techs are now doing. Um, so just imagine in a smaller uh, region, in a small state, a uh, small uh, region of small states where that incentive isn't there, uh, the role of the state, uh, including, for example, a role of a central bank like ours, becomes more important. And so we made that decision to proceed. Uh, and I'm sure others will want to come on board and we will look at all the possibilities as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's 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 uh, uh, really sort of interesting. And and you know, we we had earlier the the co-founder of Ethereum on Joe Joe Lubin, and he had made some interesting comments about you know uh, now this isn't a stablecoin architecture, but he's thinking about the Ethereum network and what kind of interoperability private networks and private systems would ultimately um, uh, have with CBDCs as they they, they they come online. But when you look at the existing architecture um, that you guys have, um, it, it appears that you've chosen a kind of a hybrid architecture. Um, one of our flash presentations sort of went through the different the differences, but a hybrid architecture where you're having a central, uh, where you have the central bank, where, where you're running uh, the CBDC system, but you have private banks and other intermediaries providing uh, the, the retail uh, services. Um, what have you, you know, what have, what did you predict to be the business model of these kinds of private intermediaries, uh, and, and and what have you seen? I mean, what, what would they offer, uh, or why would they offer really uh, decash when they can make uh, perhaps uh, even higher returns on um, deposit-based uh, payment uh, services? Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> so we we've seen an interesting response. There are uh, banks. Uh, which are concerned about the loss of fees and charges. Um, we hear that, but at the same time, you know, we are acting in the public interest. The public is quite concerned about the high costs of, of current fees and charges, including for payment services. But here's the thing. All of our bank's financial institutions agree that the cost of handling physical cash, that cost is not just, I mean, it's insurance, it's security, it's transportation, and so on that cost needs to come down. And here we are aligned. So many of, because it is physical cash, because we are distributing through these same financial institutions, they recognize that the, the, the cost savings, both in terms of time and money, will accrue to those financial institutions that participate in our Dcash pilot. And so we've seen uh, many of them coming on board. And I think there's also recognition that more wallets will come and you know, people will, the thing will, people, the, the wallets will contend and customers will choose. And uh, in our environment where you have so many indigenous financial institutions, again, the economies of scale or lack thereof um, way, what we've provided enables them to deliver to customers, potentially bring additional customers to their platforms um, and at the same time, lower those costs. So that is an important value proposition uh, as part of the business model. Uh, for or participate in financial institutions. To, to what degree do you do you look at this kind of um, uh, project as let's call it a, a first generation digital transformation project? Um, the reason why I, I mention it, and, and again, this is just going back to a previous conversation with uh, with Mr. Lubin, was that he, he had sort of predicted, well, okay, to the extent to which you have CBDCs, and, and there will be more CBDC projects, mm -hmm. you, you can imagine a, a number of evolutionary paths, right? One is which, and I guess, you know, just 
we're going to think about the CBDC projects on, on the chalkboard, right? Where we're going to think, well, we could theoretically do this. We'll try to risk uh, assess all the different alternatives and then weigh them against the existing infrastructure, right? And I, I suppose that's a little bit where the United States is. And then you have others who feel that because of their local um, uh, demand or challenges, you need to think or, or you have a, a route to uh, introduce a CBDC earlier rather than later. Then there's finally this question, I guess, that, that, that Lubin was getting to, which is, okay, even if you have this cash functionality or a cash substitute functionality, and it, and it sounds like this is where you are now with, um, with Dcash for, for sure. It's at least what appears to be the functionality for other CBDC projects the, in, 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 in the Bahamas and those that are still being piloted uh, in, in, in China. But there's this idea that Ultimately, you're dealing with smart contracts. Ultimately, you're dealing with blockchain infrastructures. Ultimately, yes. you're, you're, you're dealing with infrastructures where you can build things on top of them, other kinds of kind of uh, functionalities in, in the future. Yes. You know, it, you know which, which gets to such fascinating questions for development, for all kinds of things. Like, like, to what degree is that interesting to you? And to what degree you know, is this something that that crosses your mind now that you're clearly ahead of a lot of others in terms of having introduced a kind of digital cash option? No, it, it's it's certainly um, it, it's uh, something that we've considered from the outset of our pilot. Um, so that we believe there's significant potential for cross-border payments. Uh, we are already feeling interest, our central bank, from other central banks within the Caribbean, from Africa, and also from fintechs, uh, payment system providers who which operate within our region and, and outside. In other words, they are looking for opportunities to co for collaboration. And so as part of our design from the outset, interoperability was built in. Our CBDC, Dcash, can connect with other CBDCs mm -hmm. and or uh, wallets. And we anticipate that as this pilot moves forward and as the, 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 the space evolves, that uh, we will see some interesting connections. So that has very much been um, our, our mindset. And, and that is why we believe interoperability is key in the design of uh, our Dcash or any CBDC for that matter. Because the truth is right now, the payment systems is fragmented and we need to find a way to, to, to resolve that. And clearly there's some action required at the regional, at the, at the regulators level, at the regulatory level, uh, regionally and globally to bring us together. So that's why we are a big supporter of the G20 uh, roadmap for payments, cross-border payments, because we believe that that is a way for, you know, bringing us together and sort of ultimately resolving some of the frictions that we have. Even in advanced economies with advanced payment systems, there are still there's still fragmentation. You look at Europe, for example, it's, it's pretty obvious there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that, that, that's you're you're sort of reading my, my mind, by the way, with, by by talking about um, uh, sort of fintechs, other countries. There's got to be, and there has to be some kind of first mover uh, advantage, right? You know, when you're when you're early to move and and to sort of set the pace, then you, other people are either going to want to learn from you, or they're going to want to figure out a way to sort of leverage um, parts of your your of your infrastructure or your strategy. Um, you know, typically when when you think about a currency. 
uh, the, 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 the challenge with any new payment system is, is going to be user adoption, right? We've, we've started this conversation talking about scale issues, but you do have this first mover advantage. I mean, how, how exactly are you thinking about promoting the adoption of Dcash in, um, uh, in the union? And, and, and do you have any uh, sort of thoughts about how intentional you want to be about promoting it one day even, even beyond? Or at least the infrastructure, even even beyond. So, so our initial focus has been and continues to be on rollout to all eight member countries. When we launched at the end of March of this year, 2021, we launched in four countries. Uh, we we've since gone to uh, our fifth, and we're on the cusp of rolling out to the other three uh, remaining countries. So we've been we've been doing some low level marketing, as in sensitizing by country. Once we complete the rollout to all eight members, we are going to significantly, uh, in fact, uh, boost and, and uh, our marketing. And in, 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 in terms of to, to help drive adoption, but we also are being strategic uh, here. We have to look at the merchant network very carefully, which we've done. So for example, we know supermarkets, pharmacies, gas stations, utility companies, uh, those are our priority uh, partners, uh, merchants, for, to build out the network. We also in very uh, significant conversation with governments, because while people think of Dcash as people to people, P to P, or people to business, P to B, uh, there is a significant potential in our region for people to government, P to G, and government to people, G to P. And so those various modalities or channels or operators, if you will, uh, we believe will ultimately allow us to drive the adoption strategy and to, and to really create that, that value, an even stronger value proposition for users of our Dcash. Uh, and ultimately, as we move forward with that, and we, you know, we sort of finesse that in the ECCU, our currency union, we will be open then to look at connections within the, the CARICOM area, the wider Caribbean area, and connection with our diaspora, because there are already opportunities knocking, but we've been trying to make sure that we first and foremost focus on the people that we serve in terms of getting them their hands on the cash, um, connecting the dots, creating that merchant network, and that essentially that ecosystem, which is why, for example, we've done an e-commerce portal or uh, functionality to allow small businesses to come on top of that. That's the request that we've heard from small business, we've taken it on board and we brought that into our Dcash um, our value proposition. So again, we're listening, we're learning and we're responding um, to make sure that it works for, for everyone. In making, in, in striving for that universality in function, right? Do you expect for Dcash to be the predominant means of, of making payment? In the in the in, in the future, uh, uh, do you or do you think it's going to be something more uh, likely to be deployed by businesses rather than households or or or, or both? You asked me to look into a crystal ball. What yes. I will say to you, Chris, is that uh, we <laughs> envisage that uh, Dcash will be uh, become a dominant payment channel in our region. Uh, perhaps at least fifty percent of all payments uh, will be made uh, via Dcash. Right now, eighty percent are cash and checks, we, we, we believe the cash will ultimately uh, supplant that and, and flip that script as it were. But we also recognize that there will always be a demand for physical cash, at least for the foreseeable future. 
and we're comfortable with that. Uh, but we believe that uh, DCAST gives us additional flexibility and builds resilience uh, for regions such as ours. And that's our, that's our expectation. Over the next five years, we think we will see a shift in that direction. Yeah, I have two, two, two more questions. One, a culture question, and the other going back to the PBOC. The culture question is, 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 is one relating to just the role. Again, here, here we are, and you know, um, uh, the ECCU is, is one of the first out the gate with this, this particular um, tool. And, and you know, the Caribbean just in general has been very much a hotbed of uh, fintech innovation. Uh, I've, I've done a number of events there um, uh, uh, on, on digital transformation and financial technology. And, you know, you, you, people from Africa, from South America and the like will, will fly out, you know, to, to, to join those, those conversations. I mean, to what degree is, is that innovation and, and it's important because we had this conversation out from the outset uh, in our conversation on, on Asia. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurial energy in the Caribbean, right? You know, how does that entrepreneurial energy sort of funnel into how a central banker <laughs> thinks um, about something like a, a, a digital currency? Um, uh, uh, you know, we've had several conversations throughout the day about experimentation. Some countries are a little bit more comfortable with with experimentation some countries are quite a a lot less uh, comfortable with with experimentation you know how does that ultimately sort of inform uh your decision making you know chris is necessity necessity is a mother of invention or shall we say innovation and for us that that is what it's about so the caribbean has a history not to stand in our small size of innovation i i draw your mind back to 2007 when our region launched the the first multi-country catastrophic, catastrophic risk insurance pool in the world, CRIF. Uh, and that was both after the devastation of Hurricane Ivan in 2004 that devastated my home country, Grenada, the country of my birth, but Jamaica and other countries as well. And, uh, and by the way, that damage was 200% of GDP. So you fast forward now and bah the Bahamas gets hit with Hurricane Dorian and then launches the sand dollar it, at the end of 2019. And then we, of course, uh, uh, we were already working on our, our Dcash, but then we get hit with a pandemic. In other words, necessity drives us. The urgency that we feel is to bring real change, positive, impactful change on the people that we serve. And you talk about a central bank. I'm a development practitioner at heart, so let's be clear. <laughs> uh, it's always going to be about the people we serve with respecting, uh, of course, the, the laws that govern the central bank and working within that framework. So that's our motivation. And um, that is what drives us. And that is why we're moving faster than say some other countries that are, do not have the same vulnerabilities and do not have the slow payment systems that we do. Uh, and, and so that always has to be remembered. We may be small, but innovation is being driven by our necessities, our live realities. Yeah, well, 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 you know, with, with, with that, one, one then last question, on the comparison point, right? You know, uh, so again, when when Mu uh, 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 Chingchun came on to talk about the ECNY, you know, he he, he had described certain kinds of uh, features. Um, you know, the, the starting places are very very different, uh, but but you see some uh, 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 certainly certain uh, areas in which uh, you know inclusion is being uh, sort of sort of emphasized. Very 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 different starting points. Also, some important endpoints, but. But maybe you could just let the audience know, because uh, 
you know, what kinds of commonalities do you see when you think about that kind of project and, and what kinds of differences are there? Well, I think both China and our currency union, we are working on improving our domestic payment system. Obviously, China is a vast country, a large economy, but a large domestic economy as well. And so they have their own motivations to address payments within China. Um, and of course, in a period where consumption is becoming a, an even a larger component, if you will, of, of China's GDP. In our case, we are small, but we're working on the same thing, addressing frictions within our payment system, within our currency union, to, to not only address the needs of our people, but position our region to be able to complete in the digital economy. Chris, one of the things I repeatedly say about building out a digital economy in our region is that we must be not mere consumers, we have to be producers. That means we have to build an appropriate ecosystem. That's part of what Dcash is uh, in, in respect of digital payments ecosystem. And of course, we have to also bring skills. And I mean, that's a different project, but we're also working on that with, with partners. So that is a commonality. I think the other commonality is a recognition that large or small, we have to work together. And I go back to mentioning the G20 roadmap for cross-border payments. So whether it is a China or our currency union or the United States or Europe or anybody in Africa, we need a coming together to create a financial system that works for all except illicit actors. That requires global cooperation. And in that sense, I think that we can find common cause, big China and little uh, Eastern Caribbean currency union. Well, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Governor. CBDCs aren't science fiction. They're fact. But what history will ultimately say about them remains very much in question. Will they be transformative pieces of base layer infrastructure or governmental failures lost in the mire of bureaucracy and politics? Well, Dcash certainly suggests at least one potential future, one worthy of close examination by small and big countries alike. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.